Welcome to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show. Leah Pereira, together with her husband Ryan, who kicked off our series in episode one, both Leah and Ryan have been running the Irukandji Centre since 2014. Putting words into action, Leah has expanded the mission of the Irukandji Centre into organising rubbish cleanups in the local beaches and waterways of Port Stephens. That's one of her many jobs. Recently, I did visit the Irukandji Centre and I happened to come across Leah and quite a few volunteers all collecting and sorting rubbish. It was a World Ocean Day event, I guess, so an annual event. We decided to bring awareness to the amazing Return and Earn program that is happening around the country where people can bring their bottles and their cans in to a collection point and get 10 cents. Over the last couple of years, we've noticed with our cleanups a real reduction in bottles and cans and particularly the ones that have the labels on them that are newer bottles and cans have all but disappeared from the cleanups which is great except we just wanted to bring a bit of attention that every bit of rubbish should have that same 10 cent collection refund on it and so we've sort of put that into action and decided on a an amount that we'd be willing to give out and put a 10 cent price on every piece of rubbish that people collect on the day and bring back to Irukandji and we we count it with them and we make sure that they're not just, you know, <laughs> pretending. Yeah. <laughs> and we, yeah, we give them the value of their cleanup in, in shark dollars to spend at Irukandji and 10 cents for every piece that they get on the day. That's fantastic. And it's a competition as well. So they, they're, they're competing against each other. There's awards for different things. And the main, the main prize is very special. It's, our sea sea shelter um, rescued animals specifically the turtles are very um, very much loved and people the public don't get to see them because they're we've got them off exhibit in in our quarantine area and we don't announce publicly we don't announce our releases of them because we don't want a huge crowd showing up and scaring the turtle or pushing each other around and carrying on. So to be a part of our sea shelter release, you have to be a sea shelter volunteer. So this particular prize is very special because you get to be a member of the general public and you get to come and personally release the next turtle that we release. So that's a, that's a, a, a special prize. So you get a, a monetary benefit and you also get some kind of social satisfaction and environmental satisfaction at the same time, which is fantastic. Absolutely. So you must get um, a lot of younger folk, you know, young kids that are really actively interested in being a part of that. We do. Families are our main um, competitors, I guess, for lack of a better word. Our, our main our main plastic marine debris cleaners and the it's actually quite sad to see the you see the passion a lot in younger school children and and young kids and and sort of up into their their late teens and then there's a bit of a gap I find Mm -hmm. then it's the elderly or or even not not specifically elderly but there's definitely a sort of 
15-year gap at least in the middle there, probably 20-year gap where you don't really see that them participating as much in this sort of thing anymore. So I'd like to get, I'd like to see more of them come back into it. So I'd like to see the school kids that when they go out and they leave school and they've got these amazing ideas about how they're going to change the world, I'd like to hope that they can carry on doing that without losing themselves in in the middle there somewhere for a bit. That's amazing. Isn't it interesting how, you know, in the, I mean, this is a generational thing, but in the 70s, in particular in the 60s and 70s it was the the teenagers and the and the 20s and the 30 year olds that were so passionate about the environment and looking after the environment and they were holding protests all of that and um there's that distinctive gap that you've sort of identified there i mean it does it and when you think about it the climate change activists though they're quite sort of um represented by that age group though the 20s and the 30 year olds but yeah, I guess this is a, a big gaping hole in terms of their, their concern. Um, recently, I, there's a particular area that I go to where I always fly my drone. And when I was parking there, I just noticed all the rubbish that had been left there by, uh, it can only be teenagers, KFC and, you know, the typical takeaway wrappers and, and rubbish. I just can't believe that a lot of the younger ones just think it's okay just to leave their litter on the side of the road it's uh yeah disappointing but it's good to see how you're influencing young ones the the up and coming so when did you start this program leah well this particular one started last year it was sort of in between lockdowns and we had to find something that we could do that we could carefully do without getting too many people together in groups and so it's very it's quite spread out compared to our other cleanups we would all come to the same location and clean all together and count all together and there wouldn't it wouldn't be so much of a competition so this is this one's very different because the people they 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 come and meet up and sign in at Irukandji but then they can go anywhere they like they can go to a beach they can go to a park a playground every every single part of the planet leads to the ocean so it doesn't matter where that litter falls eventually it's going to end up in the sea so it's it's a great way to get a good idea of what a snapshot of across the area of this place has loads of cigarette butts and this place has loads of oyster equipment and we really need to focus on broken beer bottles in this particular location so it's nice to get that snapshot but also it gets the people to spread out and they're not all um on top of each other so it's sort of covid covid is brought around this as well in a way when I was there, I noticed it was very much data driven. So you were collecting information, writing data down on sheets of paper, weighing rubbish, etc. Um, I guess that information, that statistic, or those statistics are very important. What do you do with the statistics? They are so important. It would be so much easier for us to just pick up rubbish and chuck it in the bin or in the recycling. It would be way quicker, but it's not it's it's helping picking up the rubbish alone is definitely helping but if you're the person that goes out and even if you do a five minute beach clean in the day in the morning while you're walking the dog i recommend to everyone to download the tangaroa blue app it's the australian marine database initiative and i think that's what it's called it's amdi i think that's what it stands for um it 
they have been a huge part of the return and earn program coming in at all a huge part of the plastic bag bans or the plastic cutlery bans mcdonald's straws like mcdonald's when we first started doing cleanups every cleanup you would find at least 100 mcdonald's straws and mcdonald's went out of their way sort of before the the laws changed to to get rid of their own straws themselves because it was coming up all the time in every in every cleanup when you collect the data and you present it to a to a legit to um the government basically they they present all the data to the government they collect it from across the country and they categorize it and they they keep track of specific items so you'll 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 get a list of the sort of things that they're looking to write down so some things are very vague and others are quite specific like cigarette um, butts and lighters and is it one of the big ones at the moment because I know there's always a huge amount of those found and then in the past they would they would section out the fishing equipment and the hooks and the and the fishing line will be separate to that there's a whole section for the different types of fishing equipment whereas other things they'll be a bit more vague and they'll say soft plastic remnants large or small and those those items when you sit there and you count out 150 pieces of broken glass yeah. you know it's it's quite tedious <laughs> but at the end of the day that that goes into the system it gets put into the whole year of what they've found across the country and then that gets given to the government and of course it would have been given to uh, mcdonald's as well when they when they did go ahead and remove the use of their plastic straws, it's probably two years ago now, but they they went ahead of the game and they they banned them themselves. And it was great. We noticed it instantly, really, because a lot of their packaging is paper and um, cardboard and the straw would be all that would be left because, unfortunately, everybody chucks their, thinks it's a good idea to chuck their food out the window of the car yeah. which is one of the the biggest the probably the biggest thing that we find anywhere that we do a cleanup is litter that has been chucked from cars the uh, the coffee cup lids i'd imagine too would be one of the last sort of bits of plastic that yes. uh, we're trying to phase out and the the coffee cups themselves we still haven't they don't get recycled in this country because a lot of them are lined in plastic so you even if you do, are using a an eco-friendly coffee cup a, re, a, a coffee cup that's can that's fully cardboard yeah it, yep. it won't get recycled either because they just automatically assume that they're all plastic lined and okay so bringing your own coffee cup which has been a bit of a problem lately even even myself has gotten back into using reuse uh, disposable ones thanks to not being allowed in the last couple of years and you, you you try to take it in 10 times and they always say no and then so you give up and you just stop taking it in and then uh. they finally say yes and then you're like yeah and you take it in again <laughs> and they say no and you kind of like oh just give up and yeah so it's COVID has been a bit of a setback for um coffee cups I find it's and and also just for reusable cups in general people aren't willing to touch your items as much we personally have 
our own takeaway containers in the car and our own cutlery and mm-hmm. straws and sauces and soy sauce and yeah, we have you know we keep like a little picnic thing in the car with all of that stuff in it so if you go out for if you decide you might feel like Chinese on the waterfront we want to be able to do that as well without using the plastic container so we just bring our own and you kind of seek out the shops that you know that will let you do it and yeah they're getting better and better again but for a while there it was pretty sad really all the masks and now we've got all the rat test pieces just yes. everywhere all the, but we'll get there so Leah, I, I'm very interested to know a little bit more about the association that you uh, work with in terms of uh, disposing the rubbish, uh, Tangaroa Blue. Can you tell us a bit more about um, this particular organisation? They are they're brilliant in data in just collecting the rubbish database of the country, and they're working with. And they're working with world plans and world strategies for minimizing waste and how they can how they can plan ahead for the country. I know that they've been included in a number of leading the country in strategy for uh, for rubbish around the world. The specifics, I mean, it's not my company, so I I I don't want to get it wrong by saying <laughs> specifics, but yeah. I'll be very vague and say that they're brilliant. They are. Um, they really, they really are organising a whole bunch of smaller companies like our, ourselves together into creating a, a, a really good citizen science snapshot of what is happening in waste across the country and following, following it up, they, they run a, um, some workshops that we attend each year that are catching everyone up on what's been happening in America what's been happening in UN strategies, what, uh, what our government's doing, what, uh, what we can foresee might happen based on the, the amount of plastic that will be produced. So they'll go to the plastic conferences as well and they'll find that in the next 40 years, plastic production is going to double twice. My gosh. So in 20 years from now, it'll be yeah. double what it is now. And in 20 years from then, then it'll be double what it is then. And mm-hmm. Just all those sort of statistics, they 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 get it all together and spread it out to us and 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 let us know what we should focus on. And they help they help with funding as well. They sort of they get the, the local councils to work with the the local organizations to to help us pay to remove the waste mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. We're going out of our way. I mean, Sea Shelter and Irukandji have paid huge amounts of money to do this over the years and for for one particular cleanup, we paid fifteen hundred dollars to close a road down so we could so safely clean up the mangroves on the side of it. And then the next year we paid eight hundred dollars to for the same to do the same road again. And wow. that's sort of volunteers yeah. working um for it for free to fundraise to get the money to pay to volunteer yeah. for free to clean up rubbish is like yeah, yeah. double volunteering. Wow. And so that Tangaroa Blue help us partner, help point out the people that are doing a good job to the council areas, uh, yep. to the council, local council areas, and help get that funding coming down from the government to go into the right places and to utilise the volunteers that are keen and, and able to help. Because there's no way that I, I love, I remember, always remember when I was a kid and 
you used to have to clean up the the schoolyard which by the way is a really bad idea it's using it as a punishment for school kids it's not helping no. the situation because yeah. they, they won't be willing to do it so they don't feel like they need to be punished outside of school but that's another story I always remember thinking oh well just you've got a cleaner get the cleaner to do it and not understanding the monetary process of how much these things cost and so there's no way that any one organization will be able to clean up the world there's not a chance that any country or any government or anyone anywhere can clean up the mess that we've made so far so we all have to do it and we can all help each other out in the best way we can is the association an australian initiative it sounds like it might be it is it is okay and they're now becoming worldwide or global in their uh, impact and reach yes in their efforts they're 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 very much on the they've got their eye on the world events okay they're operating from australia as an australian but they're taking part in world initiatives and being recognized by our government as as things that can tick them off for the UN global yes. goals, I think yeah. they're called. Yeah. Okay. And because <laughs> I remember asking you the question, what happens to all this rubbish? And I think, did you say that they collect the rubbish? So the rubbish that we've collected, we we categorised it into things that could be recycled, things that could be actual rubbish, a couple of return and earn. We had a few return and earn. And we then we ourselves will take the plastic recycling to Woolworths and put it into the Woolworths plastic recycling to go and be made into park benches. And then ourselves will put the cardboard and paper into our cardboard and paper recycling at work. The rubbish itself, the council is helping us to give us a voucher to dispose of that. It, it costs a lot to, to dump the rubbish. We put out 2.9 tonnes of rubbish in one of our cleanups and if we had to pay for all of that to be oh taken gosh. to the dump, it would be a lot. Yeah. And Tangaroa Blue, Blue doesn't collect the actual rubbish. It doesn't. It's not a dump. It doesn't have a facility for that. It's a data collection. Okay. As far as the rubbish itself is concerned, that's a whole nother issue, really. Yeah. yeah. There's so, so much waste in this country and how we can scurry and start recycling properly now that we can't use other countries like China as a big dumping yard, which we have been for many years. So yeah, it's it's going to take a couple more years probably for Australia to get all of the right all of our ducks in a row. Legislation and they are yes. trying. When you were collecting the rubbish, can you sort of generalise what was the most common type of rubbish? Are there sort of categories? Because I saw just regular plastic, then I saw a lot of fishing you know anything associated with the fishing industry so it could be recreational fishes but also commercial fishes um even tires i remember seeing and i was just astounded i couldn't believe just how how large some of the items were that uh that your volunteers had collected yeah one of them came in with a huge sink out of a boat or something like that they did well they did well some of those tires were really heavy too it's a good way to get shark dollars. Yeah, well, no, it wasn't based off weight. It was oh, 10 okay. cents per piece. So right. Okay. It was only a 10 enough. cent tire. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it was really good for the environment. Yes. So. Yeah. 
As far as what the the totals were, plastic was by far the number one item overall. I did take some notes of what the, I guess, front runners were. 31 people in 12 teams. Yeah. Pretty good considering we didn't pay for any advertising or anything like that. It was just was off social media. So it is the middle of winter. World Ocean Day every year is on June 8th. So it's always either raining or freezing or windy. <laughs> it's always like this every year, but... We have to do it on World Oceans Day. So we have to do something. Yeah. They picked up 2,967 pieces of rubbish, which is including like every tire is counted as one piece. That was a pretty hefty sum. So it weighed a total of 230 kilos. Wow. 100 cigarette butts, 205 lids, 402 meters of fishing line, 794 hard plastic pieces. 402 soft plastic pieces, 355 pieces of foam, 281 bits of glass, 28 beer bottles, 105 rubber O-rings, a number of large items, including oyster equipment, which was a fair, a fair bit of large oyster equipment as well. We've just recently had these huge floods, so it's not surprising that we're picking up... Aquaculture, yeah. Aquaculture, debris, yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's that, that's a heck of a lot of um, rubbish. And now in terms of the solution, because I'm interested in thinking, what can we do? Um, I, I think we do have the technology to come up with solutions that are more environmentally friendly. I mean, there's no two ways about it. We need packaging. Okay. And we need to, you know, produce plastic. There's, yeah, we can't skirt around that. But what types of plastics do you think we need to perhaps phase out or change or what are this? Because I know the government has got this um, strategy by 2025. They want to basically phase out a lot of the um, packaging that we have in the supermarkets, et cetera. I mean, is that a practical Which goal? It's wonderful. It's a fantastic Absolutely. goal. Yeah. But what, what do you think is the, the way to, to do that? I mean, the, the technology, surely it's there. I've seen some amazing inventions, cassava plastic, um, plastic made out of various beans. Uh, there, there are so many solutions. Why is it that we are so slow in, in taking these on board? So many questions you just asked. You yeah, know, I know. Go on so many different tangents. So I'll stick to what, what would I do? I would try to phase out the plastic that you can't reuse. Disposable bags, the disposable cutlery, the disposable straws, find replacements for all the, the, cu the coffee cup lids the coffee cups themselves that are plastic lined, work on all of those things first because they are the things that are we're using so many every single day. And then make, focus on anything that is a type of plastic that's recycled. Make sure that there's laws brought into place where all of the items of plastic in the one plastic object are made of the same plastic. Yes. If it's a plastic water bottle and it has a plastic wrapper and it has a plastic ring around the top and the plastic lid, all of those need to be made out of the same type of plastic. Could they print onto the water bottle instead and then only have like minimize one of the types of plastic that are there? So if it is a glass bottle, it's going to be much more likely to be recycled and can be recycled more times mm -hmm. aluminium mm -hmm. can be recycled forever so aluminium cans it doesn't matter how many times it becomes an aluminium can it can become another aluminium item 
plastic every single time you recycle it it becomes a lesser version of itself and it degrades and eventually it's it's unrecyclable so it will carry on doing that so it's always better to focus on different items apart from plastic the ones that are having to be a single-use item it needs to be for a good reason for example a medical item like a band-aid or something that is life-saving you can still make it so it's recyclable but Mm -hmm. it it will need to be still disposed of there's some hospitals that are actually running ahead of the rest and are recycling all the certain types of tubes in this one packet the medical is definitely the toughest and i think we just need to not beat ourselves up about it when we need to use a plastic medical item Yes. I was wondering, do you know any countries or do you consider any countries to be doing this better than any others? I mean, are we just a bit behind the rest of the world in terms of developing these technologies? We're actually, we're ahead in a lot of things, but we're also really bad when it comes to waste. I think we're second worst after America or something, last I checked. Yeah. Okay. The amount of rubbish that we do not recycle and that we just chuck away is there's so many countries doing so many wonderful things and there's there's many parts of Australia and many communities in Australia doing great things but as a whole we are terrible really well I think there's an opportunity there for any entrepreneurs out there who might be thinking well where's where's a great way to make a huge impact on society and in the environment and also you know the green dollar you know I think the green dollar is going to be the way of the future you know just like renewables if we can create products that are environmentally friendly the government or the the, the population is going to get behind them and start buying them I've always thought if Mr Bezos insisted that you know, on green packaging, everything was environmentally friendly. It, if they wanted to sell their pro- products on Amazon, that would have a huge impact. So, One of the other problems I foresee, which is one of the other rabbit holes I could have gone down on your last question, was the, the greenwashing that comes with biodegradable plastic. Who is going to be the governing body that determines what is sustainable and what is not? Because at the moment, we've got a whole bunch of people out there saying that their products are sustainable and and often thinking that they are. General public are the people who are making the call on whether it is or it isn't. But it results in people getting trying really hard to do something positive and then getting shut down because didn't realise that that item that they were recycling would actually have a flow-on effect and would cause this. Or biodegradable plastic, it breaks down into lots of little microplastics and ends up in the ocean and the the fishy end up eating it and and then it goes up the food chain or plastics that come from our fabrics and our washing machines. Like putting, implementing a law that means every washing machine that gets sold has to come with a catcher to catch those fabrics to stop them from going into the waterways. Small things like that can make a huge difference and there needs to be some kind of body that decides yes this is great no not so great and so that people don't businesses and companies don't waste their money trying to do such a good thing and ending up accidentally greenwashing yeah the biggest message I've been trying to give out to people this year is everyone is to a different area of their plastic journey some people have only just started and they've only just noticed and just realized and sometimes it takes coming to a cleanup like one of ours to realize that the rubbish is even there like if you go to the city especially my goodness I was in Sydney recently and just 
the amount of rubbish, yeah. little tiny plastic pieces and butts and just stuff that's in every car park and on every gutter and sidewalk and in every garden. People just they just look straight ahead and keep going. They don't notice that it's there and they don't want to be seen scrounging around in the rubbish. People think that they're homeless and yeah, it's a social status and you know everyone's busy they've all got their own things that they're trying to do so when they come out to us and they pick up the rubbish and they come back and they help count it and they realize how much is there and they realize that it's going to the the sea turtles that we've rescued that are trying to survive in a plastic filled ocean then they start noticing it again and then they change their ways and they go home and even if they only change one item at a time so maybe they might give up cling wrap this year or this month and find an alternative for their cling wrap and get some a food saver or a a container and sometimes replacing one plastic with another plastic is a great alternative even though it's plastic if you've gone and got a really good quality kid-friendly plastic container instead of using those ziploc bags lunches you've gone out and bought something plastic but it's a good quality plastic it's going to last you need to make sure that it's going to last at least 100 times without cracking without having any problems and it's you know if you, if you are using a plastic that you want to put into the microwave you want to make sure it's a very very high quality plastic and not just something that's going to leach plastic into your foods and if that's if you're w- working with little kids if you're working with adults glass containers or Uh, You can get the the containers that go from the microwave into the oven. You cook it in the oven the first place. It's a big, nice glass container. You put the the lid on it, you freeze it in the freezer, and then you get it out another time and you can microwave it in the microwave and you can store it in the fridge. That item has plastic in it, but that's an item that you would want to be spending your money on rather than individual plastic zip bags, which is so easy. I mean, as a mum of a one-year-old and a three-year-old, I waste every day, I waste so much time packaging, individually packaging the food myself into all these little containers for them so they can still have that experience of opening up all their individual little things like the other kids. Yeah, well, the single-use plastics, I think, are the the primary problem here. But um, certainly part of the solution is what the government will eventually implement, which is that um, national packaging initiative target, which sounds admirable let's hope that it actually does occur they've got a target date i think of 2025 and also education so i think educating the 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 world and i guess the the younger generation in particular not to be desensitized to this rubbish because it's just so easy to think that you can just throw it in the bin and that's it you know ultimately it does end up somewhere landfill and you know how long does it stay in landfill and what happens to the um the environment in a landfill that's uh, that's another story what i'd like to do now is actually move on slightly to a slightly different topic which is the rehabilitation work that uh, both yourself and ryan do and the center do so we decided that we would start sea shelter up in 2017 because we just wanted to we couldn't wait any longer we wanted to be doing that at the same time Irikanji does amazing things for the environment and we we have an amazing message we we change the world every day by speaking to all the customers that come in and changing their their views on the world and and getting them in action but the government won't uh, help and support businesses that are for profit when it comes to rescues and that sort of stuff. 
and cleanups, getting someone to fund something for you is very impossible if you're a business. So if you're a, a not-for-profit business, then getting support from people to help build things like the hospital and pay for, for rubbish removal and cleanups is a lot easier. So we, we always had plans to have two sides of Irukandji, yes. the for-profit side and the not-for-profit side. So Sea Shelter started out as a rescue organization for fish Oh, because no one's rescuing fish. Everyone, they're rescuing the beautiful, the swamp wallabies, the, the koalas, the wombats and, and the birds and everyone's got these, these animals back at their house and they're looking after them and they're part of, you know, big organizations that are that have got teams of people are rescuing them, but no one's rescuing the fish. No one knows how to for a start. And you've got to be pretty well set up to have the electricity to, for a start. The electricity is a huge one to pay for the power, to run the pumps, to keep the water quality good. You can't just go and grab them with a basket in the back of your car. You need to have oxygen there. You need to have the right quality of water. Where do they come from? How long is the distance to drive? There's loads of, different things involved with rescuing fish and so they would get left and they wouldn't really have um, a, a process for them and no one really knew who to call so we we were putting the word out there to call us call Irukandji and sea shelter and we'll rescue the sharks and the stingrays and the you know the little yeah yeah invertebrates yeah. even like anim animals of the ocean that were forgotten but as things turn out, they don't, you don't always end up doing what you set out to do because though we have rescued many sharks and, and rays over the years, specifically num rays tend to be the ones that need to get rescued. They tend to bite off more than they can chew for some reason and always end up floating because they've got a whole mullet jaw in their mouth or in their bellies. Yum. The turtles, they just started coming and people just started calling and we weren't licensed at that stage for rep marine reptiles at all and we weren't ready we were at the old facility we didn't have we weren't set up for it and so we spent years driving the turtles to Taronga Taronga Wildlife Hospital so they'd they'd come up in Port Stevens and people would call us and we'd go out and we'd rescue the turtle and then our volunteers would drive it down Sydney and drop it off after a couple of years of doing that, we realized that we were going to have to change our plans and look at building our own hospital because we can't go, carry on driving them all to Sydney when they're all obviously from Port Stevens and we need help here. If you go north, the, the closest one north was Coffs Harbour mm -hmm. and Ballina. We decided, right, marine reptiles as well is going to be yes. our new thing and we got, it, got in touch with National Parks and Wildlife and they started dropping off all of the the deceased to us, Ryan would be the lucky one to get to cut them up and find uh, out what okay. happened to them yes, and yeah, keep yeah. the data of what, you know, where it was struck by a boat. And, yep. and then when we moved to our new facility at Anna Bay in uh, March of 2020, uh, Sea Shelter has the land there to build the hospital in the, in the coming years. And Eric Hanji has a, a wonderful new facility with a large off exhibit uh, quarantine area with loads of pools and loads of um, pumps and all the everything that you need they're ready to go for the Irukandji's animals in case they need it and at, at that time I think we'd been there for like oh, maybe two weeks not very long at all we'd only 
we'd only just moved in there and then all of a sudden we got a huge turtle and the next day we got another turtle and Taronga said oh can you just hold it for a little while we we just need (laughs) we're a bit full we need you to just hang on to it for a second so we're, we're going to our vets with them and then we just went well there's no time like the present Let's let's yeah. set up. So we just set up in uh, in Irukandji's off exhibit area in the quarantine area, and we've been operating out of there ever since. And we will, we will carry on operating out of there until um, the hospital is built. At the start, we were just making a lot of phone calls to all different people and making sure we were doing it right and getting all of the help that we needed. And if we if we got in any turtle that we were unsure about, we would still take that straight down to Taronga or we'd take it up north as well. Some some of the, the hatchlings we would take up to Ballina or to Coffs. We just started happening and I, I don't even know where we're up to now. I think we've been around the alphabet twice with rescues. A lot of them are obviously they come in already dead, but um, we just still categorise them and find out yeah. what happened to them in the best way we can. Two years we've been doing it. Yeah, I've, I found it quite interesting to see that you had a number of very small turtles there. Um, hatchlings, I mean, there must have been only a few, I could be wrong, but a few months old. And I thought, you know, for them to be this far south from, I assume they're all hatching up in Queensland, North Queensland, they've moved very quickly, very you know far down the coast yeah it does it does seem like they're newborn but they they could be uh, uh quite a few months older than that even oh, as okay. well yeah yeah turtles are they start out very small and they grow to be very very big so it is very it's quite difficult to judge their age based on looking at them because i would i would have thought that they were newborn hatchlings myself as well until someone told me otherwise yeah okay because they're so cute they're so tiny they are they are we did have a a lot of rough seas and both of those came in they got washed up with the rough seas and they'd obviously been partially eaten by something because they were missing parts of their flippers and they were sick and we we got a number of hatchlings that were either already dead or were that died in the first 24 hours and those two were the ones that that made it through so we are you've done well yeah we've got our fingers crossed for them because they are uh, missing part of their flipper we are going to keep them long we would have normally have released them already by now yeah but we're going to keep them a bit longer and they're i believe they're part of a okay one of the universities nearby yeah someone i know it's from queensland or or from um, coughs. I can't remember. I'd have to yep. double check with Ryan. Okay. So we're, we're keeping them a bit longer and we're trying to get a better understanding of how to, yep. to feed the juveniles before you release them. And Do you think they'll survive with, you know, partially bitten off front flipper? That was my concern when I thought oh, they will be released eventually, but how well will they fare? I guess if they're slightly larger, that they should be. Adults are fine, so we can only assume that they will also be okay. Okay. If an adult is missing two flippers, they can lose two, one from one side and one from the other side, but they can't oh, lose okay, two yes. of the one side. Yes. Otherwise, yeah, they'll be just swimming in a circle. Euthanized. Yeah, fair um, enough. But the adult, an adult that's lost one flipper does have a, a chance of survival and obviously... If you're missing a limb, you're, you're going to be worse off than the ones that have four limbs, but it does. Mm-hmm. It has been shown that they, they can survive. That's reassuring. That's wonderful to hear. I recently saw on Better Homes and Gardens that Dr. Harry had visited and um, he was very, very enamored with the stingrays in the tank at the entrance. How many different types of stingrays do you have and 
you know, why are you sort of comfortable having them in the tank with people wandering around in the water when, you know, we could all be a little bit concerned about the barb that everyone's quite concerned about or has heard about? That's a very good question. So we work with uh, blue spotted mask rays, southern eagle rays, leopard whip rays, shovel nose, fiddlers, and a blue spotted fantail rays. I think I've remembered them all. We are one of many aquariums around the world that are showing the public the true personality of a ray. In the wild, you would never approach a wild ray. You would never try to pat a wild ray and you certainly wouldn't uh, start trying to snorkel and <laughs> snorkel amongst them either. The difference is when a fish is born, it doesn't have a parent that looks after it, that raises it, teaches it what to do and where to go. And it's born with its innate reactions and it, what it learns from there is how to react to the world on its own um, innate behavior so the innate behavior of a stingray is if you're a big if you're an animal that's larger than it and it, you're coming in from a, a, above you will quite possibly be trying to eat that stingray so they will naturally defend themselves against big scary things that are coming to eat them and humans standing on them fall into that category if you're walking in the sand and you step on a stingray in its eyes, you have become a big, scary animal that's coming to eat it, and it will 100% sting you. In the aquarium, our animals are born into an environment where they are, for the, for the first little while of their existence, we're quite careful around them mm -hmm. because we expect them to have that innate behaviour of, uh-oh, are we going to sting this thing in case it eats me? Mm -hmm. uh, once they realise... We're the ones that are bringing them their food and saying, good morning, everyone, and <laughs> giving them a pat. They're like, oh, hey, hey. They become our family rather than our, uh, rather than something to fear. And they then show their true personality to us as they would to each other or to the other animals in the ocean that they're not fearful of. And you get to see their, their different quirky behaviours and they're, they're just like pets. I mean, it's, it's like you go to other zoos around the world and, you know, you wouldn't let your kids go and play with a wild dingo out the backyard. But if you saw some dingoes, you know, walking around in the zoo on leads, even though they are also the exact same species as that wild dingo, they will be acting more like pets. Yeah. In the way that even though even though they're not domesticated, they are they're used to humans. They're they're habituated. So they're in sort of a, a friendlier frame of mind in the tanks and so there's there's very little chance or no chance that anything or they wouldn't perceive anyone as a threat at all just providers of food <laughs> i mean the amount of things that we've done the vet checks all the stuff we've done to them over the years if they were going to sting us we would have noticed them trying to sting us they they stingrays only use their barb if their life depends on it so once they've used it it breaks off or it rips out of their tail or it snaps off and it takes three to six months for it to grow back so for that time they've got no defense so they will only use it if they're, def they're they're defending themselves for their lives if they don't think that they want to waste it on something that's not trying to eat them yeah and then they won't and use luckily it. for us we fall we fall into that category yeah 
You mentioned that you have, I guess, different phases that uh, are being constructed at the Irukandji Centre. And when I was there, I visited the outdoor centre. And when I was there earlier in the year, it was still being constructed. It looks like it's three quarters finished at least, perhaps even completely finished by now. How many different phases are being constructed at the centre? And can you give us a little bit of an insight as to what those phases will um, display? Phase one was in March of 2020 when we first moved there and that is the what's called Fingal Lagoon. It's three metres deep and has loads of, uh, it's a temperate lagoon so the, the water temperature is the same as the ocean around here. It will be natural to our area and show the different types of uh, greenery and algaes and seagrasses and, and um, seaweeds that grow in our area and along with the species from our area we've very much created it as a natural habitat we want it to be a little mini ocean and rather than it being perfectly clear and, and beautiful and you're looking through glass at this pristine not a speck environment we would rather have all the sand and the rocks and the algaes and, and really uh, have a, a natural environment and go through the same sort of flows and ebbs of the ocean where some days it's not, as, not quite as clear as other days and that's, the, that's brilliant because that's natural and that's what happens in the wild as well and that's the Fingal Lagoon. The Tropical Lagoon, which is the one that you were looking at that's that the lagoon itself is finished, but the, the building is almost finished. That is the Great Barrier Reef temperature. So you'll find, you'll be, once we grow them, you'll find corals and the, the seagrasses and the, the algaes that's, that are from that climate and that area of the ocean and the species from around that area of the ocean. So we'll, we'll be growing a reef over the next hundred years wow. we won't be you won't be seeing a reef pop up there perfectly uh, made ready to go because we don't take our animals from the wild and that includes we don't rip coral reef off the wild and drop it in there we have no plans to do it and so it'll take us a lot of years to actually grow the um, first we'll start growing the soft corals and We'll, we'll build our way up from there, but corals are very slow-growing um, animals. So well, That does beg the question, how will you bring hard corals into the environment then if you're not going to bring them in artificially? Definitely bringing them in artificially, but just not okay. in the wild. Right. So there's many people around the world that are already growing corals. Yep. And there's many facilities that are, that are doing things sustainably, and we, we choose to only work with those places uh, same with our our sharks and our stingrays we don't take any of them from the wild and we definitely um, don't keep our rescued animals either we we keep them separate from the public and they all go back into the wild it's something that we're it's, it's important to us to make sure that we can create a we can do things right and not pillage from the ocean that there's no oh, I, I once went into a a pet shop in Sydney and I could have cried. There was just a whole wall of coral reef for sale in this shop. It was just, mm -hmm. I was just gobsmacked. I couldn't believe it. And I was saying to the keepers, how can you sit here and sell this stuff? 
Like, don't you realize that it's just come out of the ocean? Like, so no one has grown this beautiful, perfect reef. It would have taken like 300 years to grow each of the pieces. And it was just all there for sale. It's really heartbreaking. Yeah, we, we do need to have facilities where it's grown and then sold, not poached, if you like, from the ocean, um, and then further on sold that way. That only encourages the aquarium trade, unfortunately, only encourages sort of that negative aspect of, of, of poaching animals and corals from the ocean. So it sounds like you've actually got quite a few phases that will be constructed. When do you think um, the Irukandji Centre will be fully finished finished (laughs) or will it finish maybe yeah well i mean probably never be fully finished because by the time we finish all these phases we'll have more ideas but to be the plan it's it's a 10-year plan and given that it's taken us an extra year for this one phase that we're doing now thanks to covid possibly it will be more like a 12 or 13 or 14 year plan but hopefully at least 10 years time we'll be you'll be seeing Where you the, want the to last be. phase yeah yeah oh, that's fantastic well i really we look forward to that family business so it's yeah. going to take a long time to build up to it we don't we haven't um we're hoping to get some government grants at some stage but we haven't we haven't got any yet and people think that we're some a big corporate organization that can afford all this stuff why isn't it here yet we're like oh it's coming (laughs) it's one step at a time isn't it but uh, you've certainly progressed uh, over the years and i've been impressed by the changes that you've been making and the new facilities look fantastic and anyone who's driving through to port stevens keep a lookout for the irikanji center on the right hand side please do drop in Leah, I just want to finish with um, a comment or just an observation. How can people, if they want to become helpers, volunteers, etc., citizen scientists, if you like, how can they actually become a part of your story and your business and enterprise? Go into the Eric Hanji website, www.sharkencounters.com.au and go to the join in section and just uh, fill out the the form there and down the track when we get our ducks a little better in a row we will have some different volunteering options available on the sea shelter website as well which fantastic well thank you so much for incentivizing nurturing and um, encouraging those little marine biologists of the future thank you thanks so much for having me i love the fact that you're getting getting everyone's messages out there into the world and helping us lead by example You've been listening to Citizen. 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 Citizen Science. Citizen Science Show.